The title sponsor of Hunt Talk Radio is Leupold. Leupold Optics are the trusted optics of accomplished hunters and shooters. If it has a gold ring on it, you know it was built by American hands in Beaverton, Oregon. Whether it's a new rifle scope, binocular, a spotter, rangefinder, or eyewear, go to leupold.com to learn more and look for these fine Leupold products at your high-quality retailers. Hey folks, Randy Newberg here. Welcome to Leupold's Hunt Talk Radio. As I was walking, I saw a sign thing on the sign. It said no trespassing, but on the other side, it didn't say nothing. Well, that sign was made for you and me. Hey folks, Randy Newberg here with another episode of Leopold's Hunt Talk Radio. Thanks for being here. Hope you're doing great. Today I have a guest, Craig Jordanet from uh, Montana. Uh, biologist, scientist, all kinds of things, researcher, uh, hunter ed instructor, you name it. Uh, Craig's really put his his life effort into things related to hunting and hunters. And he and I have known each other a long time. Uh, And now that he's retired from Fish, Wildlife, and Parks, uh, he does a lot of other uh, work. And one of the things he's been working on is, uh, I don't know if you'd call it studies. I'm going to say that. Craig might give it another term. But he's been doing studies, uh, reading, and, and accumulating information related to a topic that we always have to, you know, have in our mind and be thinking about. And we hope it never happens. And that's the unrecovered animal wounding. Uh, and so he and I spent some time talking about how can we have a discussion about this where we both, you know, right up front just say, hey, it's happened to us. You know, it can happen to anybody. But the focus is more about trying to put some context to, uh, you know, is it really a problem? Uh, And look at the studies that try to quantify it to some level. Try to evaluate what the causes are and see if there are suggestions, ideas, things we can do to maybe reduce it. There's never going to get to this uh, 100% perfection. Uh, We're humans. We're going to make, you know, fall short at times, make mistakes. But the goal of this podcast is to explore the issue, try to give some light to the the way this narrative is explained. Uh, because there's an awful lot of groups out there that don't like hunting who go to the studies and knit and grab and pull and pick little pieces and stuff that have has no context. Uh, and then they try to use it as their data to support their cause then their cause is never beneficial to hunting so uh wounding is not a fun topic to talk about everybody i'm sure all of you listening including me and including craig we wish it wasn't something that needed to be talked about but it's part of hunting uh, an unfortunate part that happens at times thankfully it doesn't happen that often but if we want to have it happen even less we got to have the discussions I don't know that I have all the answers, and I'm sure Craig will say the same thing. He doesn't have all the answers, but 
he and I both have a lot of gray hair. Well, I got a lot more than he does. <laughs> Sorry, Craig. <laughs> He's looking at me like, what? Uh, but we've been around a while, and uh, hopefully we've we've got some ideas, uh, and we can have a discussion about it where no one's going to get offended or get defensive and uh, explore where where this topic is, uh, how how it plays out in our daily hunting life. And hopefully all of you have thoughts and ideas that maybe you'd share with me uh, of what you see as solutions and and ways that we can reduce the likelihood of it, knowing it'll never go away. But uh, anyhow, that when Greg and I put together what are the goals of this, it's to try to tell the story from the hunter's eyes uh, about it, uh, explore the causes uh, or the contributing factors, and explore ideas that might cause us all to practice a little more, think a little harder, follow up a little better, uh, and go from there. So anyhow, appreciate you all being here. Appreciate Craig being here. And hopefully you will find this discussion worth your time. Well, folks, uh, thanks for being here. Uh, today, my guest is Craig Jordanay. Craig and I have known each other for a long time. Neither of us had as much gray hair when we first <laughs> met, Craig. Uh, I am very thankful that he has taken the time to come over here and, and join me on this podcast. He and I have shared a lot of discussions about the topic of, of wounding, of how that plays into hunting, season settings, all kinds of other stuff. And this summer, Craig and I were at a a mutual conference and we started talking about it again and it said craig that'd be a great podcast topic and you said well let me know <laughs> and here we are here we are yeah, yeah january whatever it is yeah. we're all the grayer for it yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the reason craig is such a great uh person for this is he's uh, you're you're a U of M grad, yeah, over in Missoula, yeah. like all kinds of degrees. Worked in all kinds of agencies. Worked in for Fish, Wildlife, and Parks for quite a while, mm-hmm. and you retired, and now you're working managing a property that has a robust hunting program on it. Am I right in that? Yeah. So I work on a conservation ranch in the Bitterroot Valley, north mm-hmm. part of the valley, and while I don't manage it there's a manager for it but i do uh pretty involved in the big game research they fund a lot of research and so we funded elk and mule deer projects and currently on a coyote project and okay so yeah so i'm kind of research and then a hunt coordinator for the ranch as well yeah and then in your volunteer work are you involved with the rivali fish and wildlife group and others and so on the big game committee with valley county fish and wildlife association and on the policy committee for uh, the Montana Citizens Elk Management Coalition, and yeah. uh, also involved in instructing wildlife management courses for the Montana Master Hunter Program, and then we have a local two-day program, advanced hunter program in the Bitterroot that we 
launched. So uh, I guess uh, in my CPA life, I said some of my clients flunked retirement. <laughs> it sounds as though you're flunking retirement, uh, Craig. I've been accused of having helium hands or something. You know, yeah. <laughs> oh, they're always up in the air. Uh, yeah, yeah. Getting, oh. getting wiser, I think, and just picking, kind of picking the fruit right now. Yeah. It's kind of nice to be in that time yeah. of life. Yeah. yeah. Those of you who also don't know this, for years, how many years did you produce all the video content for uh, Fish, Wildlife, and Parks? Yeah, it was there 10, 10 or 15 years. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Th this media stuff is, yeah. this is nothing for you. You're, you're ready uh, to go. You're, you're highly trained. I'll tell you, you've, as a CPA, have taken it to a whole nother level, Randy, and <laughs> we were just talking before we came on air, but... I think it's worth, you know, when people found out a maybe coming to talk to Randy Newberg about, you know, a topic and uh, they were all very excited and very complimentary of your product. And uh, that, I mean, it's worth telling you that because wow. I think uh, it takes a lot of work. I can only imagine what it does to, and for you and I to be sitting in a sportsman group meeting years ago and not ever seeing this happen, <laughs> here we are. Yeah. yeah, Craig used yeah. to come to our local rod and gun club meetings, Headwaters Fishing Game Association, and you'd do presentations yeah. and tell us, you know, hey, if you want to get involved, do this, do that. And <laughs> who would have thought that now yeah. here we are and we're going to record something that 100,000 people will spend an hour or two listening to. Yeah, well, you've... <laughs> you and a team have done great work. Oh, well, I appreciate that, Craig. And uh, hopefully this topic, we can do it justice because uh, the topic that we're going to talk about today is one you and I, we have concerns about, and we also have concerns about how it gets discussed yeah. and how it gets used yeah. because wounding happens. Mm -hmm. I, I went through in preparation for this podcast uh, and I started recalling, you know, the unfortunate times that it's happened to me. Mm -hmm. Uh, and man, it's gut wrenching. Yeah. And I don't think anybody ever says, boy, I'd really like to make a bad shot today. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but when you research this topic, like I put together this, this outline here, um, boy, you sure get an awful lot of bits and pieces that are pulled without much context yeah. and put into articles by groups who want to end hunting yeah, or yeah. Yeah. attack hunting. Yeah. So yeah. that was kind of one of the conditions we agreed on is let's talk about this in a mature way. Yeah. And, and Randy, I'll be like you right out of the chute saying it's happened to me. In fact, my first critter when I was 12 years old, it happened in uh, a white-tailed doe, and I've never forgot it. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. I. Uh, it's funny you say that. The first animal I shot when I was 14, I think, was a white-tailed doe, and I tracked it, and I, I'm like, oh, I didn't hit it. I'd hit it far back, so yeah. it was bleeding inside, and two friends found it, you know, while I was out there. Yeah. And they're like, hey, is this your deer? <laughs> I, if not for them, I yeah. I wouldn't have found it. But man, it yeah. was even then it was gut wrenching because it required a finishing shot. Yep. So yep. Uh, anybody listening is probably a hunter. You probably have had it happen. If you hunt long enough, it will. Um, and there's kind of a, a couple ways it ends up. Sometimes it's maybe not the perfect shot, and it requires a follow up shot. 
most people would say, well, that's, you know, that's not that bad of a deal. Uh, still bothers us. Um, but then there's sometimes where you trail it and you trail it and you track it yeah. and you track it and you just don't find it. Right. Um, so with all of that, uh, I, one of the things I'd be interested in because you used to be one of these people who would stand up in front of big groups and say, here's our proposals for the season, season settings or the quotas or the whatever. Uh, do you guys, when you're doing that, do you have to take into account um, possibility of of wounding or lost animals? Um, <clears throat> to a certain extent, Randy, but I think what happens, and this is where it, it kind of gets lost in the wash, I would say, is that a lot of what we do is based on, you know, the survey work and the, the data that we, the long-term data and, mm-hmm. that we get from a lot of our aerial counts. And so by the time we do those, typically, whatever is uh, gone to be a carcass right. is, yeah, is off the landscape or right. consumed or whatever. So that's why, I mean, kind of lost in the wash is that it, it, it doesn't come out as a as a definitive element in what we do, mm-hmm. but you know it's there. And it. I think what we're going to get into maybe is some research efforts that have kind of uncovered some of it. Yeah. And, uh, uh, yeah, and it's worth chatting about. Yeah, yeah. and and I, I'm just going to say up front, and if any of you listening produce media like I do, um, there's definitely an influence that media has on this. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of promotion of the 120-yard archery shot yeah. or the 800-yard rifle shot. Yeah. And as technology has advanced and advanced and advanced, it's almost like there's a delta of what the true talent of somebody is and how far that is out in front of, or maybe it's behind what the, te- let, let's say the other way. Yeah. The technology is capable of some far number, yeah. but the talent of the person yeah it doesn't keep pace with that usually. And, and we have a tendency to overrate our talent. And, uh, I know every year I realize more and more kind of like the, the, uh, remember when we were all 21, 20, we thought our old man was the dumbest person on the planet. And by the time we were 30, yeah. we thought, man, he was, he was a pretty smart guy. <laughs> well, after our lumps and bruises. Yeah. yeah after yeah. life kicked us around. Well, yeah. you know, for me now being 58, I, I feel a somewhat of a parallel of, I always thought, well, I'm capable of this. I'm capable of that. But every year, I realize, I don't know if it's because I get less capable or I just realize I'm, yeah. I'm maybe not as capable as I always yeah. held myself out to be. That's, um, that's a great comment. And I would, you know, probably I was trying to think before meeting with you, it's like, okay, so I chaperone elk hunters and about how many have I come, you know, been involved with and it's hundreds, of, yeah. you know, it, it, it is a safe assessment and i and the thing is randy i've never there and i say this all the time 98 percent of the people that i meet are top-notch hard-working yep great people. knowledgeable people that are just great people and yet i've never had one of them get in my vehicle and say you know i suck <laughs> i'm a rotten shot <laughs> and and it's and as we go through this <clears throat> i just feel the need to 
qualify by saying I'm not trying to knock hunters. We, right. But some of this, I think this conversation is going to cinch some people up. Yep. And, 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 uh, and we can get into, you know, bench shooting versus actual hunting conditions and stuff. And it's, it's yeah. a whole different ball game, but yeah, Randy, I agree with you. It's, uh, I think is the more you shoot, the more you realize kind of what these limitations are and you can't probably use technology to, to get yourself the, 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 the biggest source of variation with any rifle setup or archery setup is the person behind the, yep. the weapon. Yeah. Yeah, I always say I'm the weak link in the equation. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't, I don't care if it's yeah. my rifle, my shotgun, my bow, a slingshot. Yeah. If I had an atlatl, yeah. I would be the weak link in the equation. Yeah, and it's hard for us to want to admit that. Yeah, but I, I think as I get older and older, I'm more comfortable admitting that yeah. and with that realization comes the necessity to practice and yeah. practice and practice and yeah. practice and, and that's i i don't know if there's such a thing as a natural born shooter maybe maybe yeah. I, but I, I think it's a lost skill and if you don't practice like so many other things and practice in a way that practice as you play like yeah. if you need to practice in hunting situations with and we can talk more about it later but with your heart rate up and things that are going to stress you a little bit because that changes the whole ball game yeah. uh and you can be a diehard nail driving bench shooter but you get in these hunt situations and we've we've time and time again watched these people fall apart yeah yeah when they when they get stressed so yeah. yeah, and yeah, I'm reading one of the pieces that you'd sent to me, and you talk about uh, how uh, people, it says a box of large caliber ammo is 20 rounds. You'll never become proficient with any firearm or bow if you only shoot 20 rounds or 20 arrows per year. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a really good way to look at it. And I know with the cost of ammunition, a lot yeah. of people are like, well, I can't afford to go shoot 500 rounds. Yeah. I get that. Yeah. Um, but if you can't afford to shoot a lot and practice a lot, then the kind of outcome of that is shots have to be much closer mm -hmm. under much better conditions. So I, you know, in my yard, I have a, an archery range out to 75 yards. And so I'm blessed where I don't have to drive somewhere to shoot my bow. Right. I walk out backyard. Uh, but I still feel that I'm so bad <laughs> I, I, compared to what I'd want to be. Yeah. Um, and part of that is just, I, I'm not, I'm not a natural born archer. Let's put it that way. I'm, I, and I'm not a natural born rifle shooter, but I think whatever genetic code is there, it was slanted more towards rifle shooting <laughs> in my genetic code yeah. than it is archery shooting. But so would you want to shoot further and be accurate? Or when you say with your archery, you're not there. Yeah. It's like, where, where would you want to be? Yeah, I, I actually took the 50-yard pin off my bow yeah. because I don't even want the temptation. Right. I, I took the slider tape off my bow, off my sight, uh, and I try to keep my shots under 30 yards. Yeah. Um, and even at that, uh, the couple times I've lost an animal, they were 25 to 28-yard shots. Yeah. And it's like how in the hell could I screw that up as much as I shoot my bow? Um, 
but I did. Yep. Like you said, the hunting condition, uh, uh, you know, you don't, (laughs) the animal's moving and when it stops, you think it's at a certain range or you think the body position is a certain way. Or in one case, you're shooting at a steep downhill angle and with a bow, if you don't bend at the waist, you you know, it changes where your eye is to your peep and you're going to shoot high or low or make a bad shot. So things like that happen really quickly. And so I, I probably need a 10 yard pin. Well, <laughs> you do what you got to do. Right. And I, and that's one of the, it's been a really heated point of discussion is, um, is the range effective range. And yeah. with the technology today, it yeah. allows you, you know, <clears throat> to reach out further maybe. Um, but if you aren't practicing, you you know, as you get further away, you're, you're, it, it magnifies all of your, your issues or your, right. yeah. So, but I'd say Randy too, it's, ammunition is expensive, but I think it is a barrier to some extent, but even dry firing your rifle in your home and, you know, we grew up probably with that wives tale of, yeah. oh my God, don't ever. Dry fire, it'll ruin your firing <laughs> yeah, pin. break the firing pin yeah. or something. And actually, you know practicing good even with a 22 i mean i think there's things you can do to to kind of get that rote sort of memory into good shooting positions and those kind of things that will really help you down the road yeah with trigger pull especially with dry fire yeah and uh, when you talk about so i was kind of making joke of my poor archery skills uh the the rifle side of it the advances in technology that have been promoted in media yeah. that, oh, because I have this certain ballistics calculator, because I have this scope, because I have all these things, I'm okay taking a 1,200-yard shot. Well, the, out at the bench, and, and here in Bozeman, there are some amazing shooters who go out to ranges and yeah. do that at metal targets. Yeah. But I respect all the ones I know because they're like, no, I yeah. I, I would never do that yeah. at, at a live animal. You know, 300 yards is about as far as I shoot at a live animal. Mm-hmm. And so I look at people who are as capable as they are, yep. often with military or law enforcement training, who just, they uh, some of them are engineers. So they understand every little thing about ballistics yep. and coefficients and and. When someone like that tells me, no, 300 yards is about as far as I want to press the issue. Yeah. One, it's, uh, you know, the, the performance of my bullet. The, uh, the, there's so many of those variables, and these guys really have it dialed. And I have all the respect in the world for yeah. them because they're the been there, done that, could do it if I want to. But my respect for that live target, yeah. that animal, yeah. I, I'm not doing it. That's interesting you mentioned 300 because I, a lot of what I've learned, honestly, is, uh, so I had two sons, stepson all the Marine Corps, and two sons were two tours over in Iraq, and the youngest uh, went back into private security afterward, and so overseas, rubbed elbows with all the old Special Forces guys and became, you know, I, I kind of laugh, or we laugh about it because it, I, I remember trying to, coach him through buck fever when he was 12 years old kid you know and <laughs> yeah. guys just shaking like a leaf and and uh and now he's one of the most proficient people with a firearm i've ever seen so and so a lot of what i grab is actually what he is you know accumulated over time with the people that 
were in the business and snipers and those kind of people. And they say the same exact thing, Randy, is that they say, you know, a lot can go wrong after about 250, 300 yards. And so even those people who are trained and, and understand ballistics better than probably most anybody um, say the exact same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's not, and I know to most of these, most of the listeners of this podcast, they're just nodding their head like, yeah, Randy, I know that, uh, <laughs> but it just, it, it's so different compared to when we're sitting at the bench, yep. we're sitting there reading the wind with our devices yep. and it's known ranges. Okay. That's 400 meters or whatever, yep. you know, you, uh, you, you get to do your breathing exercises and your heart rate is at, you know, yeah. standing rate. Uh, that, that is just, it, it's not even apples and oranges disparity between some hunting conditions. Yeah. It's like apples and spare tires yeah. is how different it, yeah. it can be. Uh, so those types of things come up and I think we pretty much have the whole audience is probably like, yeah, I get that. I get that. Um, but when we're hunting, you know, the, the I think it's the loophole, loophole, the quote of, you know, ethics or whatever it is, is what you do when no one's looking. Uh, <laughs> I paraphrase that. Uh, when we're out there, we all have to make that own personal decision of are we comfortable that we've done all we can yeah. either beforehand and at the moment of truth to minimize to the greatest degree possible. Hunt Talk Radio is brought to you by Go Hunt Insider. Go to GoHunt.com to get the best information available to the self-guided hunter. The best draw odds, strategy articles, e-scouting tools, maps that you can use online and out in the field, and you get points in the best gear shop in the industry. Sign up for Insider using promo code Randy, and they're going to give you $50 of credit in the Go Hunt gear shop. Go to GoHunt.com, sign up now, promo code Randy, $50 of store credit. Nosler Ammunition is the official ammunition of Hunt Talk Radio and every other platform that we produce. Nosler was founded in 1948 by John Nosler. And over that time, Nosler Ammunition has proven time and again why so many hunters and shooters trust Nosler. Whether it's Nosler bullets, components, or their premium-grade ammunition, Nosler's reputation at quality shines through. We shoot exclusively Nosler E-tips, Acubons, and partitions in all of our rifles. And all of those can be found at Nosler.com or look for them at fine retailers near you. The Hunt Talk Radio podcast is brought to you by Mystery Ranch Backpacks. For years, I've been using Mystery Ranch Packs. It might be the Metcalf or the Beartooth, the Sawtooth or the Pintler. No matter which Mystery Ranch Pack you choose, here's how you can save 10% on your purchase. Go to the Go Hunt Gear Shop, gohunt.com, put a Mystery Ranch Pack in your cart, and when you check out using promo code Randy, you're going to save 10% off that pack and most of the other regular priced items in your cart. Mr. Ranch backpacks can't beat them. Go check them out. The likelihood of a bad outcome and maximize the likelihood of a good outcome. Yep. And I, you know, I might be a little different because 
I do it and the whole world gets to watch. <laughs> and yeah. and uh, uh, as people know, uh, and as our guests know, we always tell them, hey, if you miss on this show, we show it. <laughs> so uh, if you're not comfortable with that, let us know now and we won't film you. Yeah. Uh, but I've shown some of my mistakes. Yeah, and I think that's what has really helped build credibility, honestly, Randy. I mean, it sucks. Mm -hmm. I know it. You know, no one likes to miss, but I think you doing that is, you're real. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, it's. Uh, it's helpful. The the first time, and this is, you know, sometimes you confuse being lucky with being good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> because you get on a long streak of luck and you, yeah. you make the false uh, assumption that somehow that makes you good. Uh, I had not lost an animal while hunting until 2010 so i'd been hunting since 1976 so what's that 34 years and i hit a bear in alaska and i i mean I, he hit he went rolled down the beach into the water and uh, i mean i th thought man he, he's dead yeah i mean uh, and then he ran up into the the brush which anyone who's hunted southeast alaska knows that's a whole different game it, it goes like from the open beach to impenetrable yeah. brush um and i ended up looking for that bear for the better part of two days uh never found him no, no i mean followed blood for ever but something went wrong there. I still, to this day, can't figure out what it is other than by slow-mo, looking at it frame by frame, it looks like I hit a little bit higher than I intended. <laughs> uh, and so the margin for error wasn't as great as I thought. Yeah. You know, you got a 300 wind mag, 180 grain bullet, you're like, if I hit him anywhere behind the front shoulders, he's dead. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm 100% sure that bear died. I just... Yep didn't recover them and so we filmed that and uh, i have this big forum called hunt talk and uh, i i went through almost like this confessional phase out on the forum just because it had never happened to me before and that's when i realized that i was more lucky than i was good <laughs> that it took 34 years for it to happen yeah. um and I, the, the thought crossed my mind about should do do i continue to hunt it was, it was that yeah agonizing for okay. me and i think some people listening can can relate to that uh but there was this torn feeling of do we show this to the audience because you know it's an ugly part of hunting that nobody wishes for but does happen uh, or do we just pretend that Yep. Nothing happened. And because it was such an emotional struggle for me, I thought there's got to be some value and some lessons uh, that the audience might be attracted to if I'm willing to kind of <laughs> bear my soul, yeah. for lack of a better way. So we put it out there. Uh, the response was mostly, I'd say, way majority was positive. Um, but having gone through that and then since then, you know, this is where I realize that I'm not that good as I've, I've had it happen a couple more times with a bow. And, uh, it's, it, it really is a, uh, at least for me, anyhow, it forces me to really think this through. Yeah. 
all these things. The sh- I, I've relived those shots. I don't know how many times. Yeah. I, I don't know why I don't relive a miss, a, a clean miss, as much as I do a bad hit. Maybe because I know what happened on the other end. Uh, but I, I, I preface all that because you and I both said, hey, we want the audience to understand that we're not here as the holier than thou, that it's never happened to oh, us. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Because I think instantly that would turn people off. Yeah. Um, but you've done some studies uh, on the ranch there. Uh, you guys get quite a few elk hunters there. Do you get many deer hunters there? Yeah, a fair number. Okay. <laughs> what's uh, What's been the findings of of that? Well, so we started in about 2014-15 with an elk project where we had bulls and cow elk radio collared. And it, it, technology had gotten to the point where, uh, and part of the, the issue was, hey, when a when a, an, a an adult elk dies in this part of the world, in the North Sapphire Mountain Range, there south of Missoula, what's it dying from? That yeah. was one of the, and with the technology now with these radio callers, you know, <clears throat> when they're motionless for six, or you can program it to whatever, but six eight hours, you get a text message with a lot long position on your phone and so you can immediately get after it and see what what the condition is and and it's important because you know there's other studies that were done decades ago and they didn't have that technology so it took them they either had to fly or locate it from the ground some way and there so there's always this lag time on getting to the carcass and you know in any kind of predator rich environment (laughs) if you're not there pretty quick it's pretty hard to tell what actually killed it yeah Anyway, so we actually were able then to to understand the mortality from hunting on these bull elk, especially, and and what we uncovered as well is, uh, in 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 my mind, a frightening amount of wounding loss uh-huh. to a point where it's like, man, we we need to be talking about this a little bit. Yeah, and in fact, it ended up being fifty percent. So so when I say wounding loss, I want to define that a little bit. As right. So. so it's a hunting action that led directly to the death of that animal at some point. Yep. And not that it was preyed on by some other animal because it was compromised, but that wound actually led to the death of the animal. Yeah. And we got there soon enough to know that that's in fact what happened. So, um, so if a hundred elk <clears throat> were um, uh, died from hunting, yeah, fifty of those would have been unclaimed wounding losses. Wow. So when I say 50% winning loss, that's that's what I mean. So, and the sample size at that time was about 20, around 20 bull elk that were hunting-related mortalities. And uh, uh, half, about half of those were wounding loss. And half, and people always ask, the first thing they ask, how many were archery? Yeah. And it was pretty even split, actually, Randy, between the rifle and the archery. Really? Um, yeah. Wow. So... Yeah, and it, you know, I think that's when I began to say we can do better. Yeah. And, I, and I'm not this lone ranger. I know other people feel the same way as you, but yeah. it's like we, it's, I kind of began to build a passion for figuring out how to talk about this and, and talk to hunters about not only just the wounding loss, but their impact on the overall population uh, because of, with all the kind of the noise about predators. Yeah. You know, um, 
I think what gets lost is actually uh, hunting has a fair amount of influence on especially the male segments of the population. And uh, going out with a chaperoning so many of the hunters that we do, I was kind of uh, interested in the fact that hunters didn't, a lot of hunters didn't typically have that feeling. So if you ask them what the major source of mortality was around here, be wolves or lions or something. but, But when hunters in some cases with over the counter licenses can harvest you know, we had a survival rate of bulls of 50% uh, on the collared bulls, and so you run that down through so, years. So 50% survived hunting season, yeah. 50% perished yeah. either yeah. through... Through hunting. Through hunting in some sort, either because yeah. they great shot, got yeah. them, recovered them, yeah. or this wounding loss you're yeah. talking about. Yeah. So, so I, at any rate, 50%, and you run that for five or six years, and... Pretty soon you have about a one or two percent, one to five percent chance of being alive when you're five or six years old. So, and it's just it's interesting, and it's not it's not a slam on hunters. It's just the reality of those kind of hunting seasons. But when you begin to look at wounding loss to that level, it's like man, there's a lot of opportunity here being being lost. lost, Yeah, yeah. So, well, that's and. this is where I created a, if you want to use the term shitstorm, uh, <laughs> out on my forum this year. Uh, I, I there's a group of people who, uh, and I got to be careful how I say this. I don't want to rat anyone out, but uh, there's a group of people who I know uh, who were out archery hunting, and they told me how many bulls they'd hit versus yeah. what they recovered. Yeah. And they had recovered zero, but they were going out again the next weekend. And it's a pretty big group of people. I'm like, wow, how many do you got to hit before you consider, you know, my tag is now done. Uh, and <laughs> it wasn't received that well, Yeah, but that's okay. Uh, I think it's a worthwhile discussion. And uh, so it caused me to, you know, maybe get, more pissed off about it than maybe I should have. But I threw the idea out there that we know it can happen to anybody, right? But if we're not on both the front end of preparation, shot selection, shot angles, our equipment, knowing our equipment, all those things before the trigger is pulled or the arrow is released, and then on the back end of our tracking skills, our understanding of what a a blood might tell us, lack of effort, given to the 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 post shot effort uh what would cause people to think about that more yeah so uh i thought about how alaska has a one and done rule for black bears in the southeast part of the state so if you draw blood you're done and yeah, that's a self-policing action. And instantly the first response for everyone was, oh, how could you enforce yeah. that? You couldn't enforce it. But, you know, we hear that only 5% of poachers get caught. So since the other 95% get away, do we get rid of all of our rules about season dates and bag limits? And yeah. <laughs> You know, yeah. a lot of times laws and legislation are, they, they create and set the expectations and the standards and they're an expression of our collective behavioral ethos or whatever you want to call it so i threw that out there uh 
was seeking feedback, got a ton of feedback, uh, <laughs> talked to some legislators. And after talking, I said, you know what, right now is not the time to, to push an issue like that. But that doesn't mean well, the fact that you and I are having this conversation. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Doesn't mean I'm I'm done thinking about it. In fact, I I told you I'd I'd reached this kind of tipping point for me where I feel that collectively the hunting community is maybe not giving the consideration and thought that in your your articles you you emphasize you know <laughs> practice and and I know that yeah but you've the reason you're it's important for people to know or your perspective on it, Craig, is you've went and become an instructor on this stuff. You've, you've volunteered to teach people on this stuff because you see it, you've used your scientific, your biologist background to record it and come up with some confidence levels. So it's not like you're just saying, oh yeah, you know, yeah. anecdotally I saw this and that becomes your fact yeah. and you're doing something about it. Well, and appreciate that. Again, I think it's always, uh, I'm always kind of a self-reflection on how I'm presenting it, right? And it, because you can get maybe a, <clears throat> you need, I just need to stay humble with it and, yeah. and, and be, hey, I'm part of this game. Right. And yeah. But I do think with, again, with the experience I've had with being a game warden for a while and seeing, and, and you mentioned a quote from Aldo Leopold. He also was, I think a quote is uh, shooting with more excitement than accuracy. And it's like, <laughs> You just see enough of it that it's like we can we can do better, and I think some of these more advanced hunting programs now are trying to kind of chip away. It's I think it's a bit like an elephant, right, bite yeah. at a time. Yeah. But I I would also say, Randy, just out of uh, transparency, is that the, the research project I was speaking of about the fifty percent I think was a perfect storm in a way. Um, I don't I'm not suggesting that every hunting season and every hunting unit has wounding loss to that extent. But mm -hmm. with all the research that I've been keeping track of and that I've been involved with, I would say I'm very comfortable saying, I bet it bounces between 20 and 30%. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I would, I would, I, I feel confident about that. Yeah. Yeah. And because I knew that people would want numbers, yeah. uh, I went out prior to this, I was recording this and I went to a lot of states and what their data says. <laughs> yeah. And the lowest uh, I found, and these are very controlled studies, right. uh, it was 10.6%. Yeah. Found some of them that are much higher. Yeah. The other thing I've found in some of them is oh, even though the percentage of people who uh, reported a, an unrecovered animal, was a minority of the group of whatever sampled population. The number of wounded animals each of those individuals had yeah. was more than two yeah. on average. I think it was two point four seven in the one study. So the one person who's very inefficient with their technology or their their bow or their crossbow or their yeah. shotgun or their <laughs> firearm is having multiple of events of this happening. Um, so it got my mind thinking, you know, it's not like there's this, uh, even slope to how often this happens or, uh, a perfect gradient 
across the hunting population. It's kind of, if you follow that study, it's kind of, hey, it's happening, but for certain people, it's happening with yeah. a lot more likelihood than others. Yeah. So, you know, that that then gets to the point of, okay, how do you communicate with that group who averages 2.47 animals unrecovered for each one that yeah. is recovered? Um, well, and I've been in public meetings where even agency people have stood up and touted that they buy a box of ammo and they use part of it to side in and the rest to hunt with. Yeah. And as, as a badge of honor, kind of a, and I, I get it. It's like, yeah. but with my experience and, I, and what I have learned from those who are much more proficient than I, it's like, that doesn't even come close to solving this. It's like, I think it's like anything when we've talked about it, Randy, but you gotta, you gotta shoot yeah. and, and you gotta become proficient and, and I think, I, so my son's involved in, in these shooting classes now. He's, a, he's an instructor. And I think people immediately think, well, we're, they're teaching everybody to, for, to be long-range shooters. And that's right. not at all. No. It's like if they, if what we're trying to do and what he, Jake's trying to do is if they can walk away with an understanding of what their effective range is, yep. like how, what's my limit? with the equipment that I have on hand and my skill, then, then that's a, that's a major coup because again, when I talk to hunters, one of the first things we kind of get a discussion about is feeling out about what their, their knowledge is about their rifle, the ballistic, how much they kind of understand ballistics without, you know, yeah. being a science class, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, are they going to say, well, you know, my bullet drops, 28 inches at 400 yards and you know you probably have somebody that, that has a little bit of knowledge versus oh, I hold about a Coke can you know above <laughs> yeah. that kind of thing so yeah. but I think you know with just folks having a, a basic understanding of you know okay I'm, I'm good out to this range it's a that's a major win yeah 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 I get it a lot because uh, while I'm just releasing a, an instructional course about pronghorn hunting, uh, and that'll be out on our outdoor class platform, I think, in the next month. Um, and if you want to sign up, here's a shameless plug. Uh, <laughs> go to outdoorclass.com. Yeah. You need promo code Randy, and they'll give you 20% off. But uh, with pronghorn, everyone thinks, you know, I'm going to be making a five or 600-yard shot on pronghorn. Uh I've only shot one pronghorn in my life, and I've shot a lot of them. That was at 400 yards. Yeah. All the rest of them are 150 yeah. to 250 I'd yards. I'd say the same. And those are situations where, you know, a pronghorn has a smaller vital area. Um, uh, for whatever reason, it seems like it's always windy when I'm hunting pronghorn yeah. out on the prairie. Uh, and so I, I get that question a lot of, well, you know, what do I need to be able to shoot six or 700 yards? And usually my answer is better stocking skills. <laughs> <laughs> and I know that's kind of being a smart ass and no, a bit tongue in cheek. It's absolutely true. Yeah. For, for me, I, I hunt to get it closer and I don't care if it's a firearm or a bow. Right. Uh, that's, that's really what 
gets me excited. The closer I get, the higher my heart rate gets. Yeah. And the more yeah. intrigued I am and the more the game of cat and mouse is going on. Uh, but I do think there's popular narratives in the media that really aren't valid. Yeah. Uh, and pronghorn is, is one of them. I, I don't know how many people start an article in a magazine of, well, you know, you better have a flat shooting rifle out to 600 yards. I, I almost want to call the person and say, how many pronghorn have you really shot? Yeah. Um, but, and the same can be said for, for any species, uh, elk, deer, whatever. Um, and so the, we really, there, there's two parts to this equation in my mind. There's the before the shot and then there's after the shot. Mm -hmm. um, and that's where my idea that I'm still incubating about uh, should we have a one and done rule when we're having these wounding rates like you're talking about. In other words, force people to think through the scenario of is my tag good for as many as it takes to recover one or is my tag good for one animal? And in preparation for possibly crafting a bill, I called the outfitting industry. Mm. I'm like, would you guys oppose or support something like this? Yeah. And without a question, it's <laughs> that's already the rule we have yeah. in our Yeah, in I was going to ask you, because I, I know outfitters that have that rule. Yeah. Yeah. So... Uh, again, I'm sure some people are listening are saying, well, Nuber, you're in a different situation. You get to hunt a lot. You've always got meat in your freezer, blah, yeah. blah, blah. And I get that. Yeah. And I get that also sometimes you tried your best, the conditions seemed perfect, and it just didn't work out. Mm -hmm. And some of the people who responded said, well, that wouldn't be fair in that situation. Well, guess what? Life isn't fair. Mm -hmm. You know, if you want a fair life, you, you landed on the <laughs> wrong planet. <laughs> yeah. um, so... We have this post-shot issue that's part of it also. That's the tracking, that's the recovery, that's the amount of effort spent. And I think, and this is completely anecdotal, I don't know, I couldn't find any surveys or studies about how much time hunters spent on a follow-up mm -hmm. with a hit. I, I never could, maybe it's out there, but I've Yeah, not I'm not aware it. of it either. And uh, yeah. maybe that's almost the, the impossible study to conduct. I don't know. Uh, but anecdotally, man, you sure hear a lot of, well, I went and looked and he seemed okay. So mm -hmm. I'll go find another one. Uh, I, I, I struggle with that part of it. Um, yeah. I, and I think Randy, the, I, I do. And I, <clears throat> again, this gets into the troubled waters, but I'd be interested to know how many follow up. Yeah, and then on top of that, and just observing hunters in the field, like I say, just part of my job. And uh, I, I think what happens, especially when you get these concentrations of elk say out in the Madison Valley, where they're easily right. visible. Right here, real, here in Montana, the Madison Valley gets a congregation of elk yeah. in early snows, like you can't believe. And there are a few places of public land, and yeah. when they concentrate there, yeah. a whole lot of shooting is going on. Yeah, and you begin to kind of see, I think more with elk than maybe other species, people tend to kind of lose it a little bit. Yeah. And I think that the feeling is, is that for many of them, it's their first opportunity, right? It, and it's a big deal. It's like, man, I've 
chugged so many miles and now now's my chance. And, yep. and you kind of see that play out. And I, what I would say, it, the thing that always is interesting to me is it, it, it transgresses occupation. It doesn't matter. It's <laughs> when I was a game warden, it, it, it could be clergy. It could be a deputy sheriff. It could be the local attorney. It could be a politician. It's like, it doesn't, it, it happens to everybody. Yeah. And so those are the things that I think we're talking about when we get, you know, when you're kind of on the range and stuff, maybe a, a really easy exercise to do. And we've, we do it with, uh, Jake does it with the classes that he holds is after the full day of instruction, it's like, okay, he has an ammo can full of weight or whatever. And we're going to run down the road and run back or do jumping jacks or something. Yeah. To get yourself stressed, put you under a time limit for a number of shots, just any kind of game like that to kind of get you into that sort of scenario where you've, you're practicing it so that it becomes, you're not, it's not all of a sudden, oh my gosh, this, all this feeling is new. Right. Right. And you have a little better chance of dealing with it and, and settling in. Yeah. <laughs> well, some of those things you see, uh, a friend of mine said that money and elk make grown people do some really crazy things uh and you know unfortunately we read about it here in the newspapers in montana when we have these they call them shootouts uh and that's that's really a a bad deal when it happens it's surely not what you want the the public to read about in a newspaper or see on a tv news article you know at five o'clock news or 10 o'clock news here here's a game warden being interviewed about 14 elk that nobody really laid claim to because they were you know wounded and had to be finished off and so um when we get into this post shot issue um a friend of mine, Damon Bungard, has a uh, a dog that is a blood trailing dog. I'm gonna, I can't remember, like a treckle or teckle or something like that. It looks like a furry wiener dog, <laughs> uh, uh, and he's got an Instagram page strictly about a Jaeger, uh, the treckle or what. I, I I'm so embarrassed. I can't remember the breed of the dog, but. Uh, He's been on the podcast a couple times and has talked about blood trailing dogs. And I'm surprised that some states still don't allow it. Uh, but for me, I'm on board with anything yeah. and everything yeah. that aids in recovery. Yeah, I agree. Because I, I think a lot of hunters, they, they go through that same agonizing process that I talked about earlier. And if a dog could help bring that you know that animal to that to their freezer yeah without spoilage without loss man that's way better off whether it's recruiting some friends whether spending more time coming back the next day whatever it takes uh the the follow-up effort given is is probably and again strictly anecdotal because i can't find studies on it but I think you'd have to be out in the weeds to not agree that the amount of effort expended post-shot has some correlation to the likelihood of recovery of that oh, animal. I, 
I agree, and it sounds like a business opportunity for someone that has that breed of dog, right? <laughs> yeah, Damon, if you're listening, uh, <laughs> Craig's, uh, Craig's making a pitch for you. Um, but I agree, because, you know, it, well, and all of us that who have wounded some know how much that changes the day. Yeah, It the changes the, the, the whole complexion of the trip. Um, anyone that has any, and I, I guess, Randy, it goes without saying, but just because of my occupation, I, I kind of have an understanding of what these animals go through day in and day out. Mm-hmm. You do too. Yeah. And they just deserve a, a sense of respect that I think is that as a hunter, we can, we can afford them. Right. And so, yeah. you know, gearing yourself up and, and being proficient is all part of that. But then, you know, the tracking part of it is every bit as important. And I agree with you. It's, um, uh, sometimes it can get daunting, but I, mm-hmm. you got to, yeah, you got to be determined. Yeah. Yep. And I've had some unbelievable hits where I couldn't believe the animal went more than 20 yeah. yards. Yep. But somehow they went 150 yards. Yep. So it seems impossible to explain. Yeah. Uh, and I started having this panic feeling of how in the hell could that happen? I, I, 150 yards, there's no way I could have made a bad shot. Yeah. Well, Fortunately, you know, I stumble across it through doing circles or gridding or whatever, and you go do the autopsy, and it's like, this just seems impossible. How how could this animal have made it this far with such a small amount of sign? Which uh, gets me to thinking of how many times do we end up hitting an animal where we think, well, I guess I missed. Yeah. And it's just dead 40 yards or 100 yards over in the brush or yep. down in the, down in the bottom or whatever. Yep. Uh, and so yeah, I know in the classes that you guys are teaching, uh, you put a lot of time on, on that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I think the thing that, that sticks out to me in my warden days was that, um, even though you're, you may be shooting a fairly large caliber rifle and, and I don't mean to be elk centric, but the, well, you, you know, they can, you can hit an elk square perfect and you they and if you have a spotter which is always best but if you're not you may not know it right and in this case uh this hunter thought they didn't hit one and they shot it mistakenly picked another one out shot at that one mistakenly didn't think they hit that one picked another one and next thing you know they had three elk down and so by no they didn't intentionally do it by him. They were just dumbfounded, right? But it's like that. I think that's one of the things I, even with my hunter safety classes, it's like just, you know, one of the things you can do to help alleviate that is you shoot once and if you're not sure and you don't know which one, you, you know, they, they're mixing and milling. And it's like, it's a hard thing, right? To not shoot again, but right. don't, don't shoot yeah. until you know exactly which one that you originally shot at. And so... Yep. And those are tough. I, you know, you worked out hard to get close and get in a position to shoot. One of the toughest things to do is not shooting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I tried to find this, but I couldn't. I found some studies in other elk states. Kentucky was the one that had a lot of studies about elk, mm. uh, even though it's only recent, you know, the last mm-hmm. 20 years that they've really had much elk hunting. They've done quite a bit of research on, on that as it relates to elk. But I often wonder if the season settings and season types 
contribute to some of this. Yeah. In other words, in Montana, it's it. Uh, how do I, this is going to sound terrible, but it can be a free for all at times. Mm-hmm. You know, a general tag. Anybody and everybody who wants one gets a tag. Yeah. You know, if you're a resident, uh, and. Uh, it's a pretty big deal, you know. You go down to the coffee shop, the first question you're going to get is get your elk, you know. So there's yep. a some level of societal peer pressure there. Yep. Um, and it's, I don't want to say competitive from the standpoint of people saying, oh, I, I got to shoot the biggest bull, but it's competitive in that there are other people out there on the landscape pressuring these elk. They get pushed to private land often, and you know your chance may be slim. Mm-hmm. And so maybe you push the margins. Yep. You might have that little voice in the back of your head saying, you know, I'd like a 99% surety. I'm only at about 75% on yep. this shot, but hell with it. I'm going to take it. Yep. I wonder how much the types of seasons, yep. the lengths of seasons, the over-the-counter versus limited entry. And I'm not advocating for one or the other. But I wonder how much that plays into some of this. That's a great question. And I, you know, I would think too, uh, it fits into this is that some of this wounding loss may very well be animals that were on the, on the boundary. You hit them, they go onto private ground that you don't have permission for and you don't retrieve them, right? Yeah. You don't want to trespass. Um, but the other thing, Randy, and I, again, I'm not advocating it, mm-hmm. but when this whole choose your weapon thing came up, I really did wonder, okay, well, how would that influence wounding right. loss? Yep. Because you would think, and I could be dead wrong, is that the more <clears throat> ardent archery hunters would probably choose bow. Yep. And, you know, I, you just wonder what kind of impact they may have in yeah. the long run. Yeah, yeah I've, I've thought that same thing. Yeah. And one of the things that causes me to think about it again is I'm down at a sporting goods store and there's four guys in there buying muzzleloaders yeah. because we just adopted two years ago a primitive muzzleloader season here right. in Montana. Oh. requires open sights. I have a muzzleloader and uh, <laughs> with open sights, my effective range is about 50 yards. Yeah. Uh, and so again, you know, they picked it up off the shelf probably barely know how to operate it, but, oh, we'll figure it out, and they're out hunting with it. Are they going to push the boundaries of what open sites really could do? I don't know, yeah. but it makes you wonder. Uh, I have a friend who lives in Alaska, Jim Batesdale. People have seen him on our show. He has killed, I don't know how many Boone and Crockett animals with his traditional custom-made Hawken 58 caliber. Yeah. And he only shoots out to 100 yards at most. Um, So a guy like that out in the woods compared to me out in the woods, if if you put both of us out in the woods with a muzzleloader and asked us to both, you know, excitement got the best of me and I'm like, all right, I can make this 120-yard shot. Because Jim is such a committed muzzleloader hunter and shooter and understands everything about it, You'd be a fool not to put your money on Jim yeah. <laughs> making the good shot versus me. Yeah. So I do wonder that in the context of some of these yeah. choose your weapon things. And that also gets to some of this limited entry permit type. Very often it is by weapon type. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I'm I'm more inclined to say all things being equal, I'll grab my rifle. Yeah. 
because I'm way better with it. Uh, I love archery hunting because I get this up close personal experience. Yep. Uh, but I don't get to release many arrows. Uh, I shoot a lot of grouse. That that counts for a lot. Uh, But I think us talking about this stuff is forcing people to to think about it again. I'm sure they think about it a lot. But collectively in the hunting space, I always have this motto that if you don't tell your story, someone's going to tell it for you. Mm -hmm. And when they tell it, it's not going to be the story you want. Yeah. So how are we as hunters in the hunting community, how do we want this story told? How do we want it presented? And how do we want to approach it so that the world knows part of our story is we're doing our best to mitigate it? Darn right. That's my purpose of of engaging in this and and being concerned about it. Yes. Well, I appreciate the time that you're putting on this, Randy, because I, I agree. I totally agree. And I... You know, there's kind of maybe two camps. One that, hey, it's not a loss. There's plenty that's going to use that carcass, right? And, right. And benefit from that. And, and there's no there's no debate, debating that. Right. But it becomes kind of more of what you're talking about is the soul of hunting and and how much uh, respect these animals deserve. And as hunters, how do we show that? Right. Right. And part of that is the preparation. And, yeah. and so Europe, I did find a study based in Europe where it's very controlled hunting, mm-hmm. uh, where the requirement to even be a licensed hunter is way more rigorous. Hunt Talk Radio is brought to you by Outdoor Class. Outdoor Class is an online learning platform that includes access to courses from some of hunting's most trusted experts. You'll find courses by my buddy Corey Jacobson, Remy Warren, me, Hank Shaw, John Barklow, Jamie Teagan, and the list is growing and growing. And here's the other cool part. My buddy Corey, who founded the University of Elk Hunting course, the popular course that is everything known about elk hunting, His course is now part of your subscription to Outdoor Class. So, all for one subscription, at one price, you get all of the Outdoor Class courses, plus Corey's University of Elk Hunting. Go to OutdoorClass.com, use promo code RANDY when you sign up, and you're going to save 20%. This will be great information for any hunter. Hunt Talk Radio is brought to you by Outdoor Class, an online learning platform that includes access to courses from some of hunting's most trusted experts. Outdoor Class now includes the University of Elk Hunting course from my buddy Corey Jacobson. All these courses in one single subscription at one price. Go to OutdoorClass.com and use promo code RANDY to save 20% when you sign up. This is great information for any hunter at any level. The Hunt Talk Radio podcast is also presented by our wonderful friends at Mountain Tough. If you're like me and you want to hunt until you're 80, or maybe you just want to keep up with the younger folks or your kids later in life, you need to start focusing on your health and your nutrition. It's never too late to get started. I just started and I'm 59. And yeah, I should have started 20 years ago, but I've made that commitment and the Mountain Tough app makes it so easy. 
So if you want to invest in your health and your hunting, start your free trial today. Go to mountaintough.com. And when you sign up for the free trial, they're going to give you 14 days free. But when you sign up and use promo code Randy, they're going to add an extra 30 days onto that free trial when you select the monthly plan. Then here. Yeah. Wait, wait. If if you told U.S. hunters <laughs> that you have to go through all the things that is required in Scandinavia or the U.K. or Germany just to get a hunting license, we'd have a, a revolt. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and it makes me wonder how many people would pass, though, the, uh, yeah. the proficiency parts yeah. of those tests. Yeah. Um, so they they went through, and even with a very high uh, level of training, and all of these people were accompanied by uh, a trained person like you would be, Craig, uh, their wounding rate was 7%. Yeah. And these are very controlled settings yeah. with a very high level of training. Yeah. And then they said a reduced probability of hitting the target was associated with an uncomfortable firing position, too little time available, shooting off the elbows or freehand, taking a head or upper neck shot as the point of aim, right. a heavily obscured target, a target too far distant, lack of shooting practice, and basic stocking qualifications. Those are rock solid. Yeah. Yeah. And so they came, here's this big study, and they they took it really serious. Uh, To maximize your success and the welfare of these deer, we recommend that stalkers, they're calling them, not not shooters or hunters, ensure a comfortable firing position, use a gun rest, Aim at the chest, use heavier grain bullets, avoid taking any rushed shot, shooting at a further distant animal only if there's plenty of time for consideration, fire only when the target is stationary, avoid shooting at any animal with obscured, I I think what they're meaning is if it's got brush or whatever in Mm -hmm. front of it, uh... Take even more care when the ground and terrain is unfamiliar. Practice shooting at least once a month. Awesome. That is the recommendations that came out of this European study. Those are great, great recommendations. Yeah. So uh, to me, it's interesting because now we're talking about a place where the the criteria of firearm proficiency... There are a lot of people in the States who would not pass right. to get a European hunting license. That's right. And even there, they have a 7% wounding rate, in, at least in this study, with highly controlled conditions, with, I would say, a selected group, a group that by selection is probably more qualified yeah. and not of a higher train, and accompanied by a spotter who is, a, in essence, yeah. a guide, yep. a gamekeeper. Mm-hmm. And they still have that situation. So, because I work on MPG Ranch, and I, we can do we can use it as a laboratory. And so, in a way, with hunting, we've kind of done that to Randy. And so, what we've asked, <clears throat> so son Jake comes and he he gives firearm classes to the staff 
and this whatever staff wants to go, it's not a mandatory thing at all. But if they do two of them, so there's a level one, which is an entry level. There's a level two that people have some familiarity and some proficiency. And then there's a level three, which is all hunting type scenarios. If they do two of these classes, <clears throat> uh, they can hunt elk on the ranch. And, and the whole purpose of this was to see if we could affect, you know, the wounding loss based on this instruction. Hmm. And we are now in the same ballpark as as that 7%. It was much higher. Now it's below 10%. Uh-huh. And and again, you're absolutely right. Even with, uh, so, so we've affected a pretty big change with that. Now, you know, is that something that can be replicated over to statewide? I, unless people want to, probably not, but at least you're beginning to kind of see what it takes to sort of change the needle, right? Yeah. And uh, and in some cases, Randy, what's been helpful too is when you have a newer hunter and they, we have a situation where elk are just grazing or whatever and there's no, the jig's not up, yep. we'll have them dry fire a couple times, just yep. aim at an elk, and just dry fire it and try to settle the nerves a little bit and even that little bit helps just kind of dialing them in. Yeah. 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 So. Yeah, we... Uh we do that same exercise on the show and sometimes yeah. people will hear this clicking noise and they're like, what the hell is he doing? <laughs> and uh, they realize that yeah. we're dry firing. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's because the animal's at the wrong angle or they're slightly obscured. So, yeah. well, I'm not going to take a shot yeah. through, you know, when an elk's on the other side of a juniper. Yeah. So it's a good time to do that dry firing, work on my breathing yep. and yep. all of those sort of things. And yeah. so, yeah, we, we do some of that stuff. It's interesting the, the well, response we get. Do you find that, and this is what's kind of cool is, and, and people that are our age and older that have gone to these classes, the, the wives' tales, the old things that you grew up with, Randy, <laughs> that were that died in the wool, yeah. absolutes are blown away. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, and we have... We just have, we're ingrained with poor habits that we thought were great habits and they're not. Yeah. And yeah. I know some of those in getting to neck shots. Yeah. I, I was taught <laughs> if at all possible, try shoot them in the neck. <laughs> well, you think about how small that target yeah. is. Uh, I just, you know, a young kid, 15 years old, he got my 30, 30 and I, I'm bobbing and weaving. I'm so excited. I couldn't, you know, I'm chasing around the end of the barrel trying to hope that it even gets on the deer, let alone shoot him in the neck. Uh, but uh, you still hear some of those, yeah. right? Yep. Oh, you don't want to waste any meat. Shoot him in the head or shoot him in the neck. Yeah. Well, makes you wonder how many of them get shot someplace other than the neck or the head that yeah. is not good. Yeah. Um, yeah, those, and those die hard, right? Because your mentor, you know, dad or grandpa or uncles or somebody you really respected is who maybe embedded that. Exactly. Um, and, uh, I, uh, here's where uh, the risk for me is, you know, I, I want us to have these discussions. And the reason I'm so open about the fact that it's happened to me is because I don't want to be the, you know, the holier than thou. Yeah. But we have to start having these discussions. I agree. We have to start asking media who is promoting thousand yard shots, 1200 yard shots. 
What, what's, what's the purpose? Yeah. Of that? What, what, what does that do for the bigger picture? Yep. Because you and I have produced enough media content. We know we could edit out whatever the hell we want. Right. And so they make it sound, you know, you see a kill compilation of, okay, they shot, you know, eight elk all over 800 yards and just one shot, boom, there they are. Yeah. You and I see that and say, well, yeah, uh, where's the, all the stuff on the cutting room floor that <laughs> maybe didn't make it, right? Yeah. Where's the carnage? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and you get long distance shots like that across the canyon. You and I have both been hunting long enough to know that even if it's a 300 yard shot, sometimes you're like, where was he standing? Yeah, exactly. Where, where was he? And by the time you go around a canyon or down a canyon yeah. up the other side or, you know, in yep. the thick oak brush or whatever... The further the distance, the harder it is to determine where that animal was, the harder it is going to be to recovery. And I know I'm going to get lit up by some people who they promote that message. Okay. Whatever. Think about it. Yeah. So one of the things, again, we do, and just because I'm a stat guy and I like doing it, but we keep track of shooting range. Oh, you do? Uh, So every elk that is harvested... We know what the the first shot distance was, and and what I can tell you is that you need to know MPG ranch. There's hardly a tree on it, and the places where the elk tend to hang out during the the hunting season, and so the shots are three, three fifty, and so our average shot distance uh, is three hundred fifty yards. The average shot distance for wounding is four hundred, four hundred fifty. Really? So as soon as you start to creep out there immediately you begin to increase the, the chances of wounding. And it's that's like, well, people would say, well, of course. But, yeah. and there's, you know, we just have some stats there to show you that's exactly what happens. And uh, um, over a broad base bunch of shooters. And so, um, yeah. Uh, that's interesting. Yeah. That it, it's just that. Yep. You know, the, I don't want to say that little of a, distance but the marginal increase in distance creating such a large marginal increase in wounding wow Uh, and those have all been recovered i i want to be clear but if it goes beyond 400 yards and in in for my definition it's a wounded animal yeah yeah so oh if the animal travels more than 400 yards yeah after the first shot yeah Yeah. so huh yeah well i've i just uh, I, i cringe Every time a YouTube video pops up and the clickbait is 102 yard archery shot. Yeah. Oh man. Uh, please. <laughs> really? Yeah. Is that what we got to focus on? I wish it would be someone would say, I snuck up on that mill deer and I shot him at seven yards. To me, that's like, oh, I want to see this. Someone who's a 102 yard shot, especially with a bow, so much can. <laughs> can go wrong. Yeah. Uh, uh, the, but the point of that is celebration and promotion of how far your shots are is uh, we need to think about what message that sends collectively. It, it doesn't, to me, it it opens up a flank that we really don't want because nobody in their right mind is going to be able to argue that distance is not is somehow not a function of yeah. the possibility of something going snare wire. Right. And yeah. I go back to the people who did it for a living. Yeah. And they're all, you know, they would tell you it's like 
<clears throat> well, I'll tell you, things start happening after 250, 300. It's like it's just not, it's not what it's look, you know, it's made out to look like. And I would say too, Randy, you, you brought it up earlier. It's just the conversations we have. And mm-hmm. it, it's a free country. It's, yeah. <laughs> you can say much of whatever you want, but, yeah. and I've done the same thing as listening to people talk about especially archery hunters for some reason. And I think it's part of this competition thing about, hey, I was close enough to get a shot. Yeah. And and so that's there's there's some bravado with that maybe, but just talking about it like it's just you and me talking about our dog or, you know, yeah. what we had for lunch um, and wounding an animal. And uh, I, just imagine how it sounds to people that don't really understand hunting or yeah. Yeah, already have a... Yeah, we uh, we have some YouTube videos. Uh, we got hundreds of them, but one in mind that sticks out to to me is my buddy Scott Jones uh, had a Nevada archery elk tag, very hard tag to draw. Yeah, uh, but he never released an arrow on the hunt, and he had some encounters. You know, he he one I think he had a broadside shot that was pushing sixty yards, and he's like, "Yeah, it's not my gig." Yeah, and he passed, and he got lit up for that. And then he had another shot that was right around 30 yards, but it was kind of quartering towards him. And he was hoping it would step into this next opening and then it'd be more broadside. Well, it didn't step into that opening. Again, flamed. And so it gives me a little bit of a view to how the opinions or the expectations or what's deemed to be acceptable or expected shot selection has evolved to where we are today in the hunting space. And when I was a kid, and yeah, I know the technology has gotten a lot better. You would hear people talk about, yeah, boy, I shot that buck at 200 yards, and that was like a really long shot. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And for the the technology of the time, it was. Um, But there just seems to be that no matter what the technology level is, a portion, and I don't know how big of a portion of our hunting community will think that that's the substitute for lack of practice or right. lack of talent. Yeah. And uh, again, I know people are going to be like, get off your, your high horse, Newberg. And I don't have a very high horse. I'm, I go out to our range here. We've got an amazing range in Bozeman. And some of my friends who at 400 meters, what their groups are. Yeah. Just stunning. Yeah. And uh, then when we're done shooting, we sit around and visit. Uh, And Kurt, I'm talking about you. Uh, He's one of the most remarkable marksmen I've ever watched. But that's not what his hunting shots are. He's like, no, I don't need to shoot that far. Yeah. He could. Yeah. And I'd put my money on him at 400 meters versus me at 300 meters. But I have, it's, it's that respect and his ethos about, uh, you know, there's a time to do that. And it's when I'm out here at the range and he can go out to other ranges and he can shoot probably a yep. thousand yards with great consistency. Yep. But when he puts his hunting clothes on, it's a different mindset yeah. because he's, he's, I think the people who are super aware of what their equipment can do are probably super aware of what they, they can may, it, well, yeah. what they can or can't do. Yeah. And they roll that back. So uh, there's also the, for a while I saw these like 
epaulets or patches where it's like 500 yards, 700. It was like <laughs> you put on the side of your sleeve, you know, what your longest shot was. Yeah. And I didn't say anything to some of the people I saw wearing those, but I wanted to go up and say, you got any four yard ones, any 15 yard ones? Yeah. You know, Should but, be the other way, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I guess, uh, yeah. you know, you and I worry about this, Craig, because we understand that there's a chance the world's going to tell the story about this yeah. in a way that we don't like. Exactly. Yeah. And we can ignore it. We can put our head in the sand and say, well, it's none of my business. It's like you said, it's a free country. Who am I to tell anybody? Yeah. And I'm not here to tell any specific individual. Right. I'm just asking that we as a collective group, we need to be thinking about this. Yeah. Uh, what do we do so that when you radio caller that many elk, how many did you guys have radio colored? I think the first study we had, 70 some. The next study, which a couple of years later, we had a, you know, about the same number yeah. and uh, about 30 or 40 bulls in that yeah. each time. So yeah. I I like the fact that you said through all this training and this preparation that that number has come way down. Yeah. Uh, hopefully yeah. people can take from that and realize that, hey, we can do some something about this. You bet. There's always going to be that bad outcome where... You just thought this was a layup, right? Yep. And yep. just how, how, you know, something happened. Yep. And it, our goal is to mitigate the likelihood of that. Yep. And we're never going to get, it's kind of like, you know, you say, I'm, perfection is not a destination. It's a path you try to get to, you know. The same as kind of in this, you're never going to get to 100%. Yeah. It's, just, it's, it's an impossible expectation to think that. But can we do better? Well, I think what's cool, Randy, is that there's been quite a, and you've probably seen it with your outdoor classes, there's a thirst for people to gain knowledge and to, to improve the whole hunting skill yeah. uh, suite of hunting skills. And so that's awesome. That's yeah. great news. And I think it's, you know, the, the classes that you and I have been involved in, that, that the questions and the just how engaged the students are with the whole thing is really uplifting and uh and they're as concerned as we are and so that's that's great to hear and so keep chatting about it yeah, yeah. and uh, you know if it if we have to break it down to each of us having our own selfish motives well if we're losing x percentage right. to wounding right. that's fewer tags that Right. or fewer opportunities that are out there on the landscape. Yep. And uh, so. And if you saw some photos of some of the bulls that are laying there. Really? Uh, the average hunter would go, oh my gosh. Yeah. You mean as far as age? Just, age oh and yeah. size. Just, just a, the loss of opportunity there. And it's not that you'd want every one of them to be shot. That's not what we're saying. It's just that it, it's an impact. It's a noticeable impact, I think, uh, to us because we have marked animals but i think the hunter would be like holy cow yeah 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 and uh, i hope that our agencies continue to do more studies on this it's it's hard to do 
uh, you have the benefit of a controlled situation more so than the public hunting situation. Uh, you know, Camp Ripley, Minnesota did a study 20-some years ago. Uh, the technology was way different then. Yeah. Uh, the follow-up studies that have been done in Oklahoma uh, that I read, uh, and then the one in Kentucky is more recent. That was 2014, 15, 16, I think, were three hunting seasons they looked at there. Um, but it's worthwhile for us to know. Yeah what this result is are we making progress can we do better yeah and this was these studies were over they just didn't include just the ranch you know it was over private and public and okay national forest ground so it's like the the wounding loss figures we're talking about were over an entire hunting district oh okay oh yeah yeah oh. and I, if I, I apologize for not being clear about that so but there's other studies you know earlier on like in the gravelies you Mm-hmm. Uh, that have similar in the Alcorns that they're all kind of around that 20, 30%. And so, but he, that was before we had kind of the technology to really get on these animals quickly. And so you wonder, but, um, so anyway, yeah, I, uh, yeah, as we talk, you know, I make it a point to chat with hunters that we have in the field and, and you just keep chipping away. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, there's not any one thing that's going to, all of a sudden tomorrow, we, oh, we passed this law and this <laughs> yeah. solves all the problems. Right. You know, this yeah. is complicated. Yeah. Uh, it's It gets to emotions, you know, because nobody wants to do it. And then if someone has had it happen, the human condition is somehow we we tend to be defensive when, yeah. when something comes up that illustrates maybe a situation we found ourselves in. And yeah. I raised my hand. I got the helium hand. <laughs> <laughs> to say, you know, I, I raised my hand because it's happened to me. Yeah. Um, yep. But anyhow, I don't know that we've solved anything, Craig, but I, I think the important part is how much emphasis you and, and your group has put on the preparation side of things, you yeah. know, practice and yep. practice and yep. practice and, and think about what we can do there in our shot selections, our shot angles, you know, thinking about those recommendations that came from that UK study. Yep. Uh, it's... <laughs> It's yeah. it, it, none of it's rocket science. It's yeah. all pretty common sense. And I would, I would ask those of you who are putting content out there, whether you do it because you're paid and that's your livelihood, or if you're just doing it because it's your passion, uh, think about what message that might imply to non-hunters, to anti-hunters, to new hunters. If it's all about how far the shot was, yep. that that takes a really amazing experience and brings it down to a rather, yeah, uh, I don't know, this almost like it's there's so much more to hunting, right? So the, true. the stock, the preparation, the everything else. That if it just becomes how far my shot was, regardless of the weapon involved, uh, cheapens what the story of the hunt probably was for but, real yep. so i agree well craig thanks so much keep up the great work hopefully we can uh touch base on this and you'll come back someday and say randy we're down to two percent <laughs> huh? look forward to that day yeah, yeah and uh if it continues to go the other way um and i end up well <laughs> doing uh 
uh, asking for legislation to do the one and done. Uh, and you see me tarred and feathered on the, <laughs> on the Capitol steps of Helena. Uh, you'll know why, you know, what, what kind of crazy words came out of my mouth. But for right now, I'm, I'm deferring on that approach. But I, I just hope honors will hear our message and the message of others yeah. who are talking about what you are and, well, and they'll they can save some it. tar and feathers for me too Randy because I'll be right there with you <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. here's Randy and Craig tarred and feathered and left to die on the Capitol steps <laughs> oh, well thanks so much Craig really appreciate it keep, all, Likewise. keep up all the great work and uh, anytime you want to come back and talk about this or other things and uh It'll be here. I appreciate it. Appreciate what you do. Thanks for listening, folks. Have a great day. When the sun came shining and I was strolling And the wheat fields waving and the dust clouds rolling As the fog was lifting, a voice was chanting This land was made for you and me For you